I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. In this episode, we're joined by Marina Aspinall, a trainee solicitor at Denton's currently sat in banking and finance. With a focus on the Scots qualified route, Marina provides an account of her legal journey so far, right from securing her training contract up to the day-to-day life of a trainee solicitor. Before we begin today's episode of Law Talks, if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, make sure you hit the follow button to stay updated with all our future episodes. So to start off with, can you please explain your route into law? And growing up in England, what made you choose to go down the Scottish law route? Yeah, so it was actually slightly accidental. I think back when I was choosing where to go to uni, I had four English unis and then Edinburgh on my list. Um, and for a bit of background, my mum, like her side of the family, originally from Edinburgh, so I used to go a lot as a child. And I had sort of a personal link to the city. And I went to various open dates and other ones. I won't name and shame which universities I didn't like, but none of them were really connecting with me. And so I just decided, you know, I love Edinburgh. I love the city. The uni's great. I'll just go there. Not really reading the small print of the bio of the law degree that said, this is Scots law. Don't do this if you want to practice in England, essentially. I say I didn't read it. Maybe I did. I just sort of didn't pay attention, thinking that it wasn't a big deal. Um, And then when I turned up in first year, I think it became abundantly clear that actually English and Scots law are quite different and that it probably would be a problem, but I kind of left it to to future me to deal with. Came to fourth year, it was in, I was future me in the present and I had to deal with it. And I think I was really keen to get started with my career at that point. I'd done four years of law school. I was ready to just hit the ground running and the thought of having to do even like a mini conversion, I just was not up for that. So I just sort of stuck with it. So now I I did my diploma, which is the LPC's uh, SQE equivalent last year and then got my training contract with 
at Denton's a global firm, but I'm in their Scottish offices. So I've kind of just gone with that. So I'll be spat out the other end as a Scots qualified lawyer. But I think once you get to that stage, it's all pretty fluid. And a lot of the work that I do is is English anyway. So I think it's kind of much over much just in the, especially in the commercial sphere where the law is very, very similar. So actually that background hasn't hindered me too much. There are sort of the odd quirks that you you learn, but and um, Scotswell likes it to be a bit different and a bit more complicated. But um that's kind of how I ended up where I am. And I don't regret it. I think it's been great. And I think actually and my son Denton's does offer dual qualifications. That's what I'm aiming for. So at the end I ideally want to be Scots and English qualified. So then I can just work anywhere and life is great. Thank you. That's really interesting. You're actually the first lawyer we've spoken to that has um, gone down like the Scottish law route. So really interesting to hear. Um, I didn't realize that you could do dual qualification. Does that take longer or is it just additional? So I haven't looked that much into it other than knowing that it's it's an option. I think it's it's you have to do some exams, which as a NQ associate, it's probably the last thing you want to be doing. But I don't think it's that time conceiving a lot of people choose not to do it because often you do just work on English stuff not being English qualified but I think it does just allow you to to go a bit further with the work that you do so I think it is a route that I'll go down but maybe I'll do a bit more research find out how time conceiving it might be and go from there it's probably just nice to know you have the option there though as well that in itself opens up quite a lot of windows I think so and also I mean, Edinburgh is just amazing. So I completely understand why you've settled there and love it. Um, okay. So in terms of actually securing a training contract, it's something we talk a lot about on the podcast and it's notoriously tough and competitive. And we were wondering if you could talk a little bit about the process of, of getting that and how hard you found it and how you tried to stand out from other candidates. So I think, again, it was slightly... Accidental is not the right word, but I, my way of securing a training contract was, I think, slightly odd. I was applying to various sort of back schemes, mainly with Scottish firms, given that I was at a Scottish uni, but I was also on a year abroad at the time in Canada. And so because most of the application processes involved a sort of in-person assessment day, this is just pre-COVID, I found that a lot I couldn't even really apply for because I wasn't going to be in the country. They weren't doing virtual assessment days. So I had to slightly pick and choose based on ones that had a mainly virtual sort of VAC scheme application process. Having said that, Denton's did have an in-person VAC scheme. So I have no idea how they slipped through the cracks. I think this is just the universe telling me something that I had to I had to apply to them because I remember with Denton's it was a bit strange because I applied for the VAC scheme I got a telephone interview it was one of these competency-based ones which I mean competency-based interviews are just the worst when they're like describe a time when you went above and beyond and you're like oh god <laughs> trying to make something up on the spot and so I had that over the phone and then think I was invited to an assessment day that was in person and I said to them sorry I actually live in Canada at the moment so I can't come so they basically fast-tracked me to the interview stage just 
for the direct training contract. And that must have been in January 2020. And then I'm pretty sure I didn't hear from them again until August 2020. This time we were in a pandemic. It was all virtual. But I remember I was I was actually on a vaccine for a separate firm, which had a more sort of regimented process of application, first interview, second interview, rather than like an assessment day. And so that's how I managed to get onto that one. And and I was doing the virtual vaccine for this other firm. And I, I sort of checked my phone and I saw that I had an email from Den saying, sign up for your virtual assessment day. And I had not heard from them for like six months. So again, I think this is the universe telling me something. So that's so random. But I signed up anyway because I had nothing to lose. And I kind of thought maybe I was on that list by mistake. I don't think I was, but <laughs> I think I thought that. They certainly sent that to me. But I did the virtual assessment day. And to be honest, I think that really helped me because I could do it from the comfort of my own room. I could be comfortable, probably wearing slippers and my pajamas on my bottom half. And then I had all my notes around my laptop so I could choose the answers to the questions rather than having to do it off the fly. So I think that really helped me. Um, and so I did that and then literally 24 hours later, they called me up saying, we want to offer you a job. And that was a wild day because the way the timelines worked is that the one that I did, the, the other firm that I did the VAX scheme for also offered me a training contract on the same day. So I was, it was wild. I was, I went from having zero job offers to two and I was having to consider my options and all that. So it was kind of a bit of a whirlwind because you had this pandemic in the middle but I also was in Canada and so I couldn't apply to load um and I was doing interviews at like five in the morning it was all kind of a blur to be honest um so I think I slightly fell into into the training contract that I got because I don't think I really thought anything was going to come out of it which is maybe a, an argument for just throwing the kitchen sink when it comes to to applications in terms of how I distinguish myself I think I think it's really important to not underestimate how like valuable not law experiences I know people probably say this all the time but most people applying to these firms will have really good grades have done some work experience be able to talk law all day long but for me, I spent a lot of time in my interviews talking about how I was a waitress and I worked at a pub and how that gave me skills in terms of dealing with difficult people because God knows people are so weird when they're at restaurants, it seems. And I think that really helps you stand out. It shows you can work hard. Like Anyone can like try and get some, well, maybe this, that's not true, but getting work experience is one thing, but actually doing a job for a really long time and showing that you can roll your sleeves up, I think is, is what you need from a trainee at least. That's what they're looking for rather than being like, oh, I just love law because everyone's going to say they love law and they're passionate about it, but actually can you show that you'll be hardworking? So I think that's important. And then I also would say it's really important to show you a bit of your personality as well. I think it's so difficult through a page, but when you get to interview stages, particularly these competency ones where they ask you these random questions and you're kind of having to use examples and bend them to what the situation is. 
those are the perfect time to show that you are, you know, an individual, you're unique, you're fun, you're interesting. I know that one, I had one interview, I can't remember which firm it was with, but they asked about a time that I displayed business acumen. And I remember they said that, and I was like, I don't even know what acumen means. And do I have it? Probably not at this point. And I ended up telling a story about how at school, I, the charity did a reading of my diary from when I, like when I was 12. Um, and they loved that. I somehow managed to weave in that it was good business knowledge because I thought of an idea that was out of the box and I charged people a, a reasonable price. I was really molding it to fit the question. But I was telling this really rogue story like at the heart of it. And the person interviewing me loved it. And I think you shouldn't shy away from showing like who you are. Because again, it's easy to just get sucked into this. I love law. This is how I show why I love law so much. Because at the end of the day, great. But they want someone who's going to be good to work with, who's going to be hardworking, but also kind of fun to be around. So I think that's that's really important. Thank you. That's a, first of all, it's always really helpful to hear um, the kind of side about you don't always need to be kind of just talking about your law, law experience. It's like also think when people start applying whether it's just to barrister they get so focused on like what they have on their cv that it's specifically law um so yeah really helpful that all those other things make up a large part of the interview um and yeah that personality side is always nice to hear and i can imagine that was a very funny story um reading your 12 year old diary yeah i had to i had to um slightly bend the truth so it didn't sound quite as inappropriate as it might have been in real life <laughs> but um and actually, no, on a slightly more, I suppose, serious note um, about the, your kind of um, time at your sister's firm, what things have you done so far and what are you uh, planning to do in the future? So I started in investment funds, which is sort of similar to corporate, but much more focused on private and public investment vehicles that pull their money, to, like people pull their money together and invest it in different ways and um, before I started that seat I had absolutely no idea what it was I we started and we kind of the way the process works at my firm is that you write a list, list of preferences and then the early careers team do their best to make as many people happy as they can but you kind of get a random selection at times particularly when you're a first seat trainee because to some extent you're at the bottom of the pile um, and so I end up in investment funds didn't have a clue what I was getting myself into. Um, and I think that was actually really good because my expectations were zero. I just went in completely blind. And then at the same time, so the other side of the coin was that they also expected nothing from me because they knew I wasn't going to even probably know what a fund was necessarily. And I think as a first seat trainee, that was really, really nice because I didn't feel like I had to prove all this knowledge that I had. I was just going in and letting them teach me. Um, so I really, really enjoyed that. And then I'm currently in the banking and finance team, which a bit more easy to understand, just loans to from banks to companies and et cetera. Um, but that I've also enjoyed. It's very transactional, as was funds, but banking is much more sort of you do a deal, you've got lots of deals on at the same time, one deal closes another one picks up and it's just sort of a constant 
cycle of of deals of various sizes, um, which I I enjoy because it's quite satisfying to sort of see one from start to finish, but um, it can be a bit more sort of stressful and time pressured because you've got clients who need this money by this date and you have to just try and wrap everything up by by that point. So so far I've done two very transactional seats. So I think going forward. I'm looking to contrast that slightly, hopefully something more along the sort of contentious lines, litigation, something along those lines. So I can really contrast the transactional with some more dev contentious side. Um, I equally am hoping to try and squeeze in this economy at some point, because I think it is really useful to see the client perspective. And I also think that I did, I went for a second in my last rotation. I didn't get it, but I had an interview and they said something that really stuck with me because they were saying that when you're a private practice lawyer, you're, you can be quite robotic because you always are just trying to impress your clients. And so you're sending these really complicated emails and everything's quite precise in how you speak. Whereas I think when you're from the client side, it's much more casual. They were just throwing, throwing things around in their emails, if that makes any sense at all. And I kind of want to see that side. So I really want to do that. Um, so we'll see how it turns out. As I said, we just submit preferences and then it goes, it goes from there. So it's slightly out of our hands, but going into third seat, which is one of the most important, cause that's where sort of your kill from the NQ process starts during your fourth seat. So it's kind of at the first three that you decide where you want to go, unless you have your heart set on something, which I don't, I've really gone into it with an open mind. I had no idea where we get up. Still not quite sure, but starting to steer myself towards an end point. Um, but yeah, I think just keep an open mind because you never know what you might like. Like I really liked investment funds. Didn't even know what it was before I started. That's so interesting. I think what's particularly interesting about what you've said just there is that most people I've spoken to who are, you know, on their second, third seat, they've said if they have gone in with their heart set on a certain seat that they did it and then hated it um, and they actually end up loving something else. So that's really good advice um, for everyone there. And yeah, super interesting. I hope that you get the secondment. That would be a really cool opportunity. But yeah, it's definitely worth just managing your expectations. I think just expect maybe nothing and then you'll only ever be surprised. Or you might go to something and actually hate it. So I think it you do just sense what clicks with you and what doesn't. Yeah, 100%. So we also wanted to find out how often do you work with lawyers in the other practice groups when you are within a seat? Yeah, there is, there's definitely collaboration, I think. So in my fund seat, we did a lot of, we got a lot of advice from the tax team because setting up a fund often is for tax beneficial reasons, et cetera. So we would dip into their expertise and, and then in banking often we need our real estate colleagues to help us because if you take sort of a mortgage over a property, you need them to help with all of the the real estate aspects of that. So there is definitely collaboration. And I think even beyond that, on a sort of non-working level, you do just get to know people in the office. So if you have a quick question about something, 
it's actually probably easier to just wander over and ask someone. Um, I'm working on a deal at the moment that requires quite a lot of help from our construction team. And so you just go and go and ask the construction team to help you out with the document or something. So there is definitely mi mixing and moving. Um, but a lot of the work you're doing is is just focused on, on your own team. Um, at least that's been my experience in two seats I've done so far. Um, but it's it's definitely uh, no man is an island and all that. So there's there's a big collaborative effort for sure. Thank you. And that's nice to hear. It's it's I think it's quite like an unknown thing how much the different practice areas are kind of separate in um, level of collaboration. And I suppose we've talked quite generally about your different rotations, uh, so kind of that more overview. But we were wondering on a more day-to-day -day basis, um, what does your kind of day look like as a trainee solicitor? And yeah, what are your kind of key tasks and responsibilities? I mean, it depends entirely on the seat and the day and what is going on in terms of the work you're doing for various clients. In my fun seat, it was really varied to the point where when I did a handover, I couldn't even put my finger on what a typical task would be. There was often research because it's quite um, sort of financial regulatory advice vibes, um, if that's the technical term. Um, so often I'd research new legislation or I'd look into existing regulations, stuff like that. Um, but then in my banking seat, it's much more of a hands-on practical role where I'll, often I'll draft the first draft of the more simple documents and then send them on for reviews. Or if we get comments back from the other side, say I'll look at them first, try and work out what I think about them and feedback. Um, so it really does vary. And I think that depending on what you've got on your plate. So I just completed quite a big deal where I was very involved and often it would be pinging documents back and forth updating with comments, having reviewed them, having discussed them with the associate, senior associate. Um, and I think a big aspect of, of a trainee, of the role of a trainee at least, is that you're kind of project managing, but at the, at the bottom level in terms of the fact that the others in your team who are more senior will probably be knuckling down doing intense drafting negotiation. So if they ask you where things are at with a specific document or have we sent this off to the other side, have we received it back from the other side? It's often a case of keeping up to date and, up and keeping track of what's going on in, in a deal. So often, and like looking after the file on the document management, on the DMS, that's often up to you because you're just trying to be like the, the grease that's keeping the wheels turning on these things so it's kind of hard to pinpoint into a specific tasks but often it's just a case of keeping documents moving updating people on where you are with things up things along those lines so i think in both my seats there's been a lot of quasi project managing mainly because everyone else is too busy to keep tabs on where these things where where progress is and what stage a, a deal is at so it's a lot to do with that and um, but I think it really does depend on on the day, on the week. It really changes. A lot of it can be quite sort of admin-y and a bit, bit boring, um, truth be told, but you've got to start somewhere. 
I do a lot of filing at Companies House that you'll get familiar with Companies House if you ever do corporate or banking seats. It's very frustrating, but you just get you get used to it. Then spending hours on hold with Companies House often is the way I spend my days. <laughs> um, you, you, yeah, it just really depends. But you're never left for of thumbs for too long, that's for sure. I think that's really useful to know because... For those who are applying, as well as those who might have just started um, their training contracts, some of the questions that have been asked in interviews, and it's certainly what I had in my experience, is, okay, so what would a trainee solicitor at this commercial firm do? And I've spoken to loads of people who have really been thrown off by that question, which I think is very understandable, because... If you're not, if you haven't done a vacation scheme or you haven't, you know, maybe spoken to someone, it can be quite hard to actually know. So, yeah, that's super helpful. Thank you. Yeah. I remember in my first check-in of my first seat, I asked my supervisor, I was like, how do I sort of get to that next level of being? How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Trainee, and he says something that really stuck with me and that I try and sort of keep in the back of my mind at all times, that as a trainee, you essentially want to make everybody else in your team's life as easy as possible so if you can kind of try and be a few steps ahead in terms of or oh, if you've got a document back to the other side have a quick scan if there's anything that you think is a red flag send it on to them and say i have had a look i think all these changes are fine but this one and then that can then focus what they look at if you are you know asked to research something try and think about how that research will apply to what they're looking to achieve so you're not just giving them all this information you're pinpointing it to help them so I think like a good answer probably to that question is to think about yourself as as a bit of a project manager who's just trying to make everybody else's life as easy as possible and um, because everyone else is going to be really busy so if you can just make their life a bit easier by just being that doing that step above 
Yeah, I think that goes a really, really long way. That's such good advice. Um, really cool tip. And out of all these different tasks that you take on, clearly it's not going to be filing at the company's house, but is there any kind of key tasks like the research side or the drafting side or reviewing side? What's your favorite part of our role? Um, I think my favorite part of the role, it probably is a bit of a cop out because I don't think it's any specific task necessarily. Um, but what I would say is that what I get the most out of is when you start a seat or if you start your training contract full stop and you're just overwhelmed, you have no idea what's going on. You feel like an idiot. You're like, I just, I can't get this. And then you fast forward six months and you kind of are not a pro, but you're like, oh, I get, like, I understand what's going on. I feel like I've really got to grips with this. And you look back and you're like, me six months ago, the best me now is a whole different person. And I think even, even for me, halfway through a seat, two months ago, I was clueless. And um, I was working on like this big deal that I recently completed. And at the beginning, I thought it was two separate deals. And I was just lost. I had no idea. But then by the end, by the completion, I would felt like I had a really good grip on things. So that's really gratifying because you make so much progress so quickly. And I think it's really important to give yourself credit as well. To constantly check back and think, actually, six months ago, how do I feel? How do I feel now? A hundred times better. And I think that does trickle down into the sort of day-to-day tasks. Like I remember the first time I was asked to draft some board minutes and I was just baffled I was like how on earth does one do this and now if I'm on to draft board minutes it's like okay easy I'll just bash them out and granted they'll probably be edited slightly by my supervisors but you can get it to a point where it's it's almost there and when you do it when you knock it out of the park the first time that is so satisfying so I think that constant progress really really satisfying and really gratifying and that's what I get the most out of um and you're always using your brain you're always being pushed you're always learning something new so it's never it's never boring except when you're on the phone to company tasks for hours but it when on the grand in the grand scheme of things like it is really really satisfying because you're constantly improving um and I think that's probably what I like the most about it I mean I know everyone says this but like every day is different so you never know what's going to turn up on your desk, your proverbial desk. So I think that's what I enjoy the most. Thank you. And I think that shows it's an interesting job. It like keeps you on your toes and then you also really see the progress. Um, so it's very appealing to when people are thinking about all the hard work that goes into it, this other side um, to really draw people in. And this is probably a question, I mean, it's something that we talk a lot about on the podcast that people are always really interested to hear, um, particularly training solicitors' views on. Um, so could you talk a little bit about your work-life balance? Yeah, absolutely. I think work-life balance, it's never just like a straightforward answer because it depends on what seat you're doing, what deals you've got on. That seems to be my sort of tagline. It's, it's never the same. But, um, and also the firm that you're at will really dictate how your, how, what your work-life balance is like. I know Denton's is, they're really keen to push, you know, the well-being of everybody. So they don't want you to stay up until 
God knows what time if you don't have to. And I remember at the very beginning that they're very anti sort of presenteeism. So on my first couple of weeks, I was sort of being nervous and trying to work out when it was acceptable to go home. And one time I said, partner in my team, I was like, I, I think I'm all done if unless there's anything else you need. And they were like, if you're done, go home. And it was like five o'clock. So I was like, okay, great. And you will have times where you just, you can go home at five. Like if you have nothing else that needs to be done, go home and enjoy yourself. And everyone always says, make the most of it, make the most of the quiet periods. And that is true because you never appreciate them enough when you're then really busy. Um, but it's important to do that because you never know how long your quiet period's going to last. It could be a day. So make the most of those nice evenings when you're not coming to work. Um, and I think for Denton's sake, their, their client base, there are often some slightly unrealistic or difficult deadlines. And that's when you end up working late or getting a bit stressed and it's full on and you have to sort of miss something fun or turn up late to something fun that you want to do. Um, but that doesn't happen constantly. So you often can see the end of the tunnel if it is really busy. And every, it's a team effort as well. So if people can see that you're working really hard, they'll ask you, are you can you take on any more or can you not? And you'll be like, can't. It's all about setting your boundaries. If you feel like you are at capacity, you can't do any more. At least at Denton's, you can just say that and be, and then people will take it off your plate. I know the other day, the day last week, I was asked in, on one morning to help with the completion that required sending those documents out by a DocuSign. I said, I should be fine, but I'm not sure. And then this other deal that I've been working on, pop back up so I've just had to get back in touch with the senior associate of my team and say I'm really sorry I, I did say I could do this but I just don't think I can now and he said that is so fine someone else can help so I think setting, setting your boundaries is really important um, and as I said my time is very well being focused so if you have something you can't slash don't want to miss and you let people know they'll probably be fine with it more likely than not I mean what was it two weeks ago? I'm seeing Harris Downs at Murrayfield. And I, on a Friday, I was like, guys, I've got a hard finish at 5.30. And they were like, go, enjoy. We'll deal with it. So I think it really does depend on the firm that you're at. Because a lot of firms do have a slightly higher expectation of when you'll work, when you'll be sort of on call. Often I'll have my phone sort of nearby, but it gets to a point on an evening where I'll just say I'm not going to look at it again. Um, and you can kind of sense when you can and can't be doing that. So I'd say on the whole, my work-life balance is very good. Obviously, there are, there are long nights sometimes, but they are more rare than they are common. That's really good to hear. Um, firstly, I'm just going to see Harry Styles next week. That's so good. That's super Um But yeah, I would say it's... So refreshing to hear about a firm that doesn't have that sort of culture of FaceTime because I think like it is kind of a thing that's of the past and hopefully fading out across more firms. But yeah, that's that's really cool to hear that that actually is the case. And yeah, I also really liked that you were saying, you know, if you've got something on that's really important to you and you make that clear, like you 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 can do those things. Um and also the insight about the different seats, because I think that's something that's not always talked about. Um, like it's yeah. kind of my understanding that transactional seats are the ones which are very up and down. Um, but yeah, oh, yeah, really interesting. Yeah, banking 
I found is much more, it swings a lot more where you have moments of, I mean, actually it's been busy almost constantly, but you, the late nights happen much more frequently. I think I was in corporate at a time where it was just the market was quite slow. So I think I got maybe a bit lucky, which helps. But then I know that I have friends in real estate who nothing ever happens in terms of the land registers and stuff past five o'clock. So you're rarely going to need to work past six because there's no point. So I think it really does depend. Um, and going back to the presenteeism point, I think that hybrid working has actually done wonders for that because actually lots of people have childcare they need to deal with. Lots of people have other commitments. If you want to go to a gym class, go to a gym class because you can leave the office, do what you want to do. If you need to log back on at home on your sofa. So I think um, that's really, really helped with the tool move away from, from the FaceTime, as you say. Another question we have for you. What's been the biggest difference between studying law and then working in a law firm? Oh, I think it's massively different, to be honest. I think when, you do, when you're doing a law degree, you're really getting into the, the nitty-gritty of like, what the law says, the sub substantive aspect of it where like you know all the sections of various acts and you can reel them off and you can apply them to these sort of weird makeshift scenarios that they give you in exams at least that's that was my experience um and a lot of it you just don't ever touch and you kind of know that you're not going to touch it like i loved criminal but i was it was never going to be my thing and so i think it a lot of it is just not that <laughs> applicable when you come to actually doing a day-to-day -day work for me obviously I'm in a I'm in a commercial firm so there are you know aspects of commercial law that are helpful um I mean knowing you know what the difference is between a special resolution and ordinary resolution like that does come in handy and that's useful to have up your sleeve but also at the same time if you're not sure about something in terms of what the law says you do just look it up and I think that I know that for me we went into our our exams with the actual like statute books and you'd have to flick through it to find the law but that's just not what you would really do at least not for me i'd go on google and i just google <laughs> sort of sections of the companies that which i think is about a thousand sections long so no one is ever going to know that off my heart um what i would say is is more transferable is like the soft skills so you know learning how to write in a really concise and clear way attention to detail, being able to problem solve and take complex rules and apply them to complex situations. That is more, more applicable, but at the same time, I think it's, you spend so much of your time on the job, actually doing really practical things like drafting documents, like checking articles of association, whereas that's not something you ever really learn, or at least I didn't. Um, I think the the LPC diploma year is maybe a bit more helpful. Well, that's supposed to be the practical skills. But what I found is that it's really hard to understand something out of context. So it's it's all well and good being told, oh, you need this form for this specific company's house filing before you've actually ever even needed to do it in real life. It's, I think the experience is is just the best way to learn and learning on the job I find has been been much more helpful than anything I did 
at uni or on the diploma slash LPC. Um, obviously, it's useful, and I know why they make you do it because I think you, I think I'm probably underestimating how much is just deeply ingrained in my brain that I do use every day, but I just don't really think about it. But the way you approach the law is really different. And actually, I was having this conversation with my colleagues the other day that, again, my classic line of it depends on what seat you're doing because in things like corporate and banking, it's much more about understanding the commercial decisions of your client and what's going to help them in terms of building and sustaining and growing their business rather than knowing all the section of the company's act. Whereas I think other seats, particularly ones that are more um, contentious and end up in court more often, I think that's where the real law lies. And I think we were talking about actually people in interviews for vacation schemes and the, I was talking to a partner in corporate and he was saying how they often go on these long spiels about how passionate they are about the law. And he was like, well, I think this is maybe not the seat or the job for you if if that's what you want if you want to do be a corporate lawyer because it just isn't about what the law says necessarily it's about how to help your clients you know run their business effectively so there is a huge difference and a lot of it you don't get taught and can't really learn I think at uni I think experience is is kind of the only way to to get there and Google is your friend I use Google all the time and so does everybody else so I think that needs to be said. <laughs> no, that's so good. I think in a way as well, like the fact that, you know, in the seat you're in, you are working for your client and trying to find out the best solution for them and applying it to their industry and what's going on in the economy. That's also just a really exciting aspect of it because um, it sounds like that kind of brings a bit of the legislation to life, um, which is cool. And I just wanted to know, with the new SQE, it's quite interesting that you say that LPC was like probably the most applicable bit because obviously that swapped out to just two pure or multiple, well, single best answer exams now. So it will be interesting how that being rolled out, you know, affects. I've got a friend who's unfortunately having to do the first year of the SQE. Sorry, you you guys are as well but I think at least this is what I've heard in the grapevine is that the diploma slash LPC I think particularly the LPC but that makes because I'm Scottish Dang. Scottish lawyer but I mean the, the diploma and LPC were just kind of too easy and they didn't really prepare you sufficiently to hit the ground running as a trainee because I mean for me the diploma we stopped teaching in March and then I started in September so your brain just your legal brain is out the window and that you're having a fun summer, you're not thinking about it. So you turn up on the first day of your training contract and you're like, you haven't got a clue. But I think apparently what they're doing with the SQE is they're definitely running it for longer. So you go kind of straight into your training contract. I think they're supposed to be making it a bit more applicable to what you might actually be doing because it didn't necessarily set you up into the best edge with the LPC and the diploma. That being said, I think it was still a good year. I mean, I had fun. But was it quite easy? Maybe I'm just a genius, but I'm thinking, which I don't think is true. I think that it doesn't necessarily prepare you completely for when you start. So maybe the SQE will actually achieve that a bit better. But then I also think that 
you can only ever learn so much before you actually walk through the door. So we'll see. I'll have to check in with my friend who, who does it and see if she survives. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's such a balancing and it's so true. Um, I mean, we're, well, Katie just finished her DDL. I'm still like, she just studying North University. So it still feels really far away. Um, she gets that same thing actually like applying. Um, and yeah, seeing if those soft skills have developed over time. Uh, and actually that's the case for a lot of our, so our listeners are, you know, all aspiring lawyers, some at university, some still in sixth form. So we kind of always like finish the episode asking what would be your like main advice for aspiring lawyers? Yeah, it's really hard to think of something that's not really cliche, but um, <laughs> I think my, I, my first thing that I wrote down is, and this is maybe more for the, the uni students, but it kind of reflects back on my points about work-life balance that whilst you want to apply to lots of firms and apply to all the good ones, it's really important to also think about what firms suit you and tailoring your applications to to firms that actually will give you the life that you want, if that makes sense. Because if you want to hustle and you're like, I love high pressure, then go for it, go, you know, magic circle. If you actually want a bit more of, of that balance, then go more mid-tier. Like you can really, it's it's a two-way street at, at some point. Obviously, you need to impress them, but you could go to firms that have terrible vibes. And if you don't like them, that's fair enough. Um, so I think pick and choose based on on your aspirations, on your ambition. Um, and I think that's that's really important because you're gonna be doing this job day in, day out for who knows how many years. If you hate the place that you work, even if you love the work that you're doing, I think that's that's a bit of a deal breaker because often you won't like the work you're doing. And then if you also hate the place you're working, terrible. Whereas like, I love the firm, I love the culture. And everyone's really friendly, everyone's approachable, no one's scary, no one's sort of nasty for no reason. And I think that there's I mean, I don't have experience outside of my firm, but you hear horror stories about partners who are just rude for being rude sake and like you can avoid that. Obviously there's only so much you can get from a website, but you can pick up on on what what you think suits you. I can remember in my interviews with Dentons, I end up laughing. He laughs in a in a job interview for a training contract. But the two ladies who were interviewing me were a hoot. And I was like, this feels right and you it will click. Um and I think if they want you and you want them, then match made in heaven. Um and then the second piece of advice I noted down is don't panic. Because I I should tell this to myself more often, but it's so easy to feel like an idiot because you are genuinely going into something. And again, this is all about the training contract rather than sort of the law degree, but equally I'm sure I felt like an idiot all the time in my law degree. Um, but on your training contract, like you will feel silly sometimes. You will make silly mistakes, but that's the whole point. And I think it's so easy and I definitely am a, a victim of this where I do a piece of work and I kick myself and it's not perfect or if I don't get this really tiny point that I should have picked up on but I'm not necessarily supposed to like you it's all a, a learning experience you're a trainee for a reason because you're you're trying to to build that knowledge that you don't 
already have. So I think don't be so hard on yourself and don't panic because like I said at the beginning, you will get better. You do improve massively really quickly and you've got to give yourself some credit. And again, like I said earlier, just keep turning around and seeing how far you've come because I think it's so easy to lose sight of this. Particularly, I mean, if you you think of where you were at school and you wanted to do a law degree and you got onto your, your... your law degree, which is a huge achievement in itself. Then you want to get on to get a training contract. If you achieve that, the year at uni would be thrilled. And then you actually start doing a training contract. You're like, I am in the position that me at school could have only dreamed of. So I think it's really important just to keep checking in on how far you've come because you deserve a little pat on the back sometimes, is what I would say. So don't lose sight of the progress that you've made. Thank you very much. You have some very practical, but also um, the kind of other side useful and also um, very good advice for, yeah, I think it's very often that when you're in the moment, you panic and you don't think about where you are or anything like that. So it's really helpful to have that reminder. Um, and yeah, we talk a lot about actually when you're talking about kind of when you're applying to firms that, you know, there's not like one outline of a lawyer. There's lots of different people and personalities that go into a career in law and um, yeah, the idea that just like this one set of firms is going to fit everybody. Uh, yeah, it's a really good thing to, to think about. Definitely. You just want to think about what you want to get out of it, I think. And know yourself. I know that for me, I like a bit of stress, but I don't like too much stress. So it brings out the worst in me. So I don't want to be at a firm where I'm constantly stressed. So it just, there's some people love that and like, so fair enough. So I think it really just got to follow what what you think is best for you. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 